The Beatles Come to America series wrap up. The Beatles Come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Gyalker, along with the Beatle Guru. This is the series wrap-up episode. It is all over, where Brooke and I count down our favorite Beatles albums in order, and we've been asking you to do it yourself as the series progress. In this episode, we have a couple takeaways, things that we've learned through the series. It's the final, so let's get into some housekeeping notes. This is the last time. I'm going to tell you about this whole thing that I got going on. It's called Something Came From Baltimore. It is a podcast. It's been running for about four years, and it's about jazz, blues, and R&B. It's not really about Baltimore, but I do have Baltimore artists there. I hope you subscribe, enjoy, and share it with others. We want you to be a part of that Be More music scene. And finally, the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to Beatles. You know he sweats that Beatle DNA. You've seen it. I've seen it. You need to follow him on his Facebook page. It's called Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Happen. The link is in the show notes. As a bonus, we have a Brooke Happen original song at the end of the show, so you don't want to miss that. So this is the wrap-up, and as we had said, it's a 20-episode limited edition. We were doing this in our living rooms, and we did have some technical problems that kind of really raged through all the episodes. So... It was an, a year in the making, maybe even longer, before we had all our interviews, and we've been trying to get out the pops and hisses to make it sound you know, more professional. We got it this far. Uh, we thought we did a good job with it. We wanted to share it with you, uh, but it is a DIY. We were in our living rooms, or I don't know where Brooke was, uh, doing our interviews. So uh, we want to make sure that you enjoy the, the uh, podcast and make some comments and, and enjoy our other creative projects. And thanks for hanging in with us. It's the final. It's The Beatles Come to America. It's episode 20, the series wrap-up. Hello? I'm so glad we had this time together. Oh, it's been wonderful, Tom. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be doing on Sundays anymore. So we're excited because we have a wrap-up. I had, like, takeaways, things that or I've learned through this whole thing. I had, like, say, five big things that were big takeaways from doing this is the, you know, the Lennon-McCartney compositions and the, the name is iconic, and both of them are super legends. But I think once we really went through here, we found out that George Harrison and Ringo Starr's contributions were phenomenal throughout this whole whole trip. And sometimes they get sidelined and they just get overlooked. But without them, I, this, this sound would not have been the same. Oh, that's absolutely true. If it were Ginger Baker on drums and Keith Richards on lead guitar, it the Beatles would have sounded entirely different. You know, not to mention George Harrison's creative contribution and Ringo's creative contributions to the Lennon-McCartney songs. Yeah, I mean, it would not have been the Beatles without George and, and Ringo. They can, As we went through each song, we discussed 
who wrote the songs, but then we also talked about their contribution to the song. You know, what did they do? And I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, there's no question about it. It had to be George and Ringo, otherwise it would, would not have been the Beatles. So, yeah, when you talk about the Beatles, you just can't talk about John and Paul. What is mind-blowing is, okay, so they, they started recording in... 1962. So they come over to America in 1964. They close up shop at 1970. So we're just basically saying it's six years of productivity. 18 albums. That's astounding. Just the volume that they were able to churn. I, I, I don't know anyone that puts out this much high-level material in, in such a short period of time. One of the constants that I think helped develop it, I don't think if if someone else was behind the console at the beginning with George Martin, I don't think we would have had this kind of evolution. So I guess it's a two-part. Frequency that they recorded was astounding, and then the quality and the nurturing that they had with George Martin really enhanced it. Yeah, it's unheard of to have that, that many albums put out in that time period. Uh, the creative output, output they're, I mean, to say that they're prolific writers is just such a gross a huge understatement. And yes, you're right. And George Martin, he he had an inkling back in September of 1962, an inkling that, hmm, I think there's something here. <laughs> and so with his stewardship, you know, a lot of people say that George Martin is the fifth Beatle, and I have no argument with that. Some people say that Brian Epstein is the fifth Beatle. Well, yeah, Brian was the fifth Beatle in, in terms of promotion, marketing, and business, sure. But in terms of in the studio, and this, of course, is prior to to Billy Preston, because Billy Preston didn't come into the very end. But all those years that George Martin was producing them, and also playing keyboards for them, as you know, and not to mention his arrangements, orchestral arrangements, brass arrangements, string quartets, bringing in members of the London Symphony Orchestra. It was, he, he was the fifth Beatle when it comes to Beatle recordings. There's no question about it. And again, like I said, if it was someone other than George and Ringo, you know, let's say it was a different record producer. You know, Mickey Most was a big record pop producer in England at the time. Or it could have been, you know, a number of different record producers. It would, it, the records would never have sounded the same. It would, it, there's no way in the world they would have sounded the same. The studio, Abbey Road, the room, the console, the equipment, the microphones, the engineering, and the producing is what created that sound for each song and each album. If it were recorded, and we already talked about this actually, when they switched over to, they went over to, oh gosh, what's the name of that studio at the Rolling Stones where they recorded Hey Jude at? Because they had an 8-track at that studio. If you listen to the sound of Hey Jude, the sound, I'm talking about the, re the recording, the sound of, uh, of it, it doesn't sound the same. When you listen to it, it's in knowing what I'm saying that it wasn't done at Abbey Road. That's a good example. Now, granted, George Martin did produce it, so at least we had 
him producing it, but at a different recording studio. Uh, these are all very, very important elements. You know, there's no no two ways about it, and they all contributed to the incredible. I would go so far as to say, the magical sound and the magic of the Beatles. These were all the elements. You can't take any one of them out. If you do, there would never have it could never would never have been the same. Wow, Mickey Most as a shout out. He was very prolific. You don't really talk about him the way the way you do with George Martin. There's so many more singles. Beatlemania you know, you go, oh, 1964, Beatlemania, and then it kind of died down in 1965. Beatlemania never died. It's just that they didn't release singles. We go through each album, and I'm like, oh, this could be a single. This should have been a single. This has a lot of radio airplay. Sgt. Pepper never released a single. White Album never released a single. If they followed the game plan of 1964, I mean, they have 20 number ones. It is guaranteed that that would have increased at least 10 to even 20 more there are songs that are loaded on these tracks, like If I Needed Someone, for one, uh, Another Girl. It, it sounded like, oh, there was a big burst, and it was Beatlemania, but it never died. This or The albums all hit number one. They all were multi-platinum. There was no reason why they couldn't have flooded the radio airplay with more singles, because they were basically radio hits anyways. Two major albums with no singles whatsoever. Big, epic albums like Sgt. Pepper and the White Album. And in some ways, Revolver, the the song, the, the hits were already released before the album came out. I felt that they were conservative when they didn't need to. They could have easily kept the mania as 1964 to 70. It was already there. Now, we know that in the early days and in the early albums, they had a number of singles that were also on the albums. But as they got into it, they felt that they were cheating the fans. Because if they have the singles, then why do we need to put the singles on the album? Because they've already heard it and they already have it. And that, as you know, when we went through every album, you know, that was part of my argument. Like, for instance, with Magical Mystery Tour, you know, I remember saying to you, listen, I already have the single of All You Need Is Love. You know, what do I need to to hear it on an album for, okay, it might be a little more convenient. All right, fine. But I felt as though, you know, it's being kind of cheated in a way. So they felt that same way. And so when they did Rubber Soul, and of course, Sergeant Pepper, as you mentioned, in the White Album, they figured we don't need to have any singles from those albums. When they did Pepper, they... Instead of putting because all you need is uh, all you need is love came out just about mm, maybe three and a half four weeks about three and a half weeks after the album was released so you know one could say that all you need is love should have been on the Sergeant Pepper album but it they didn't want to do that and I'm glad that they did and Beatlemania as you said it never it never stopped. It, as a matter of fact, here we are, 2020. It still hasn't stopped in some, in, some, in some respects. It still hasn't stopped. I mean, people love the Beatles just as much as they did, you know, when I was when when I was a teenager. And this, so the mania, the mania never never died, and and it never will because the material is too damn good. 
They will never. The Beatles songs will always, always be played. They will always get airplay. They will always be discussed. Beatles, the reason, one of the reasons why they, they lasted as long as they did, and their fans and the public never lost, never lost interest in them. Never. You know, never. Even when they broke up, as I said, people still love the Beatles. It's because they continued to evolve. With each new album, it was like, oh my God, what, what, what I can't wait to hear it because I'm sure it's probably not like the last album I had because they took us on a journey. And their journey was one of exploration, of innovation, high creativity. And why stop? Why not do, do the same thing with the album covers? In the beginning, they were too busy. You know, in 64, they were too busy to do, you know, to really take the time to really get into the album covers. You know, but once things started to slow down a bit, like in 65, and I think that the first big change in the album covers, of course, is Rubber Soul. So from Rubber Soul to the very end, they had creative input as to what how the album covers look. And again, this was just a continuation or an extension, I should say, of their creativity. My last thought on, on this takeaway is I just don't know how they did it. Constant photo shoots, the videos that they had to do the the the, tour, the touring the touring the press the fact that you know the rap the fans their ability to expand their brand and and try to do like that apple boutique and electronics and have their own label even like the kardashians couldn't pull this off uh <laughs> <laughs> it, you know the, the the burnout level must have been outrageous i said when they're done i bet you they just had to there was like a mind explosion. They were working at, you know, a 10, you know, level 10 for all these years, and all of a sudden they got to step back and relax a little. I know that listening to interviews with George Harrison, he's like, I don't remember a lot of this stuff. Well, that's fascinating. So, quote, unquote, I don't know how they did it is what you're saying, okay? Now, I would go so far as to say that nobody knows how they did it, including themselves. These four individuals that were brought together, it's as if four magicians were brought together. Now, some people can say that George Harrison is not the greatest guitar player. Some might say that Ringo's not the best drummer. Some might say that John's not the best guitar player. It didn't matter. Because these four guys, there was definitely magic going on. It was definitely magical. You know, Paul knew it. They, they, that's why they did the magical mystery tour. Unfortunately, the Magical Mystery Tour wasn't that magical. 
and it was a little mysterious, but that what they did, as you had said, is so extraordinary, and that no one else, no one else had, had done what they did. So, how how extraordinary is that? There's something that goes beyond logic and reason and and talent, even that allowed them to do what they did at such an incredible rate. It's amazing that they lasted as long as they did. They could have burned out, as you said, but they didn't burn out. I think they were starting to burn out, actually. After they did the wide album recording, they were burning out. I really believe that. And it was Paul who refused to let that happen. He was the one who gave them an extra year, basically, in 69. He was the one that got them to do one more album, which, of course, is Abbey Road, which is a phenomenal album. What a way to go. What a way to go out. So they were, after the White Album, it was like, I think they were pretty much done. They had done so much. It's like, what more can we do, for God's sake? And let's put this double album out with every conceivable genre that we're comfortable doing, going from folk music to electronic music to heavy metal, which didn't even exist, and rock and roll, and let's just put it all out, get it all, and then we're done. And and they were done. They were done as a band. And it was only because of Paul's pleading and insistence that he convinced them to go back into the studio one more time to do Abbey Road. And thank God that he did. Because we know how great Abbey Road is. Oh, my God. And the reason, one reason why Abbey Road is so great, it was like, okay. And they knew this when they recorded Abbey Road. They knew it was their last recording as a band together. And that's one reason why it's so damn good. They put everything, all the juice that they had left in those Beatle grapes, you know, and they made this phenomenal record. Yeah, it's so extraordinary, like I said, and I agree with you. Nobody knows how they did it, including themselves. It's time to do our countdown, and the countdown is from our least favorite to our most favorite. I realized while I was doing this with Brooke, I got so excited when he agreed with me, and then I understood how he felt about his way of thinking about things, which is cool. And it, the bottom line is, there's about 300 songs the Beatles did. We love them all, basically. There's not, not a dud there. The albums are sliced and diced the way they are. And the way I look at it is, like, what do I play the most? And that's how I went through it. So do you want to do your first one, the number 18? Yeah, you want to guess what my number 18 is, my least favorite one? Uh, it, it's either uh, Something New or Hey Jude. You got it, my friend. Something New is my least favorite Beatle album. Yeah, Something New is my least favorite album because it's not something new, it's nothing new. <laughs> because all the songs on that album I already heard on previous releases and, and on singles and on the Hard Day's Night album. So to me, this was total... Capitol Records exploitation. Now, I said earlier, at the time, 
I didn't feel that way. At that time, oh, new Beatle album, great. But in retrospect now, I can see it was just a, a total exploitation by Capitol Records. My number 18 is Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Uh, I do like the originals, but it was the last album I bought because I knew there was a lot of incidental music on it with George Martin. And when I played it, I was like, okay, there's some songs I already knew, you know, through the years, through the 70s. I really just wanted a full Beatle album. So uh, Yellow Submarine is my number 18. One, two, three, five. So we go to 17 then, and 17 for me is Hey Jude. And the reason being is because the Hey Jude album is because I already had all those singles. Oh, you know, so to call it an album, it's a compilation, really. And, all right, so it's convenient. You don't have to stack the singles up. You can just listen to the singles on an album. All right, so I will, I will give you that. It, it is convenient to have the singles on an album, but... When you compare Hey Jude album to, let's say, even introducing the Beatles or Beatles 65, there's no comparison because when those albums came out, it was new material. When Hey Jude came out, it was old material. Okay, for number 17 for me is a Hard Day's Night soundtrack. On the same lines of Yellow Submarine, it's a lot of incidental music on it. I had to complete my collection, and you know I knew I had to get this, but you know I was had a paper route, and I, you can only make so much money. So uh, this was one of the last ones that I bought, and when I got it, I played the songs. I'm like, okay, all right, now I put it away. Hard Day's Night is number seventeen. So you felt as though you were getting cheated because you wanted to hear the Beatles songs and not. The- George Martin's orchestrations, correct? Oh, sure. You know, through the years, like in the 60s and 70s, soundtrack albums, which had the incidental music, were very popular. People bought them. Uh, my parents had a lot of soundtrack albums that may had never had like a, a, a actual song, but just incidental music. It was very common that people bought soundtracks. Um, I knew that, and I, you know, accept the soundtracks. It's just the fact that when it boiled down to it, I just had little money, and I wanted every single Beatle album, and I knew once I opened it up, there would be like, you know, five songs, and that... Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Yeah. Is there a reason for everything, Tom? Thank you for understanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I said I, I, there's other things that are really unquestionable. You'll be shocked where I put a Hey Jude album. So, I, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Or 16, yeah. And believe it or not, you might be surprised. I don't think you, I don't think you could guess my 16. Why it's a surprise probably is because I love, I love side two so much, which is the George Martin compositions. And, and when we talk about the album, as you, I'm sure you recall, I played side two more than I did side one. So, but. Again, compared to all those other albums, I thought, yeah, you know what? Mm -hmm. Again, we've already heard the song Yellow Submarine. It's on the album. So, yeah, 16. My 16 is the Help soundtrack. 
and Ooh, yeah, whoa. yeah. I do like the the instrumental uh, stuff on it. I think it's pretty cool. Can't tell you how many times I picked that up afterwards. I would skip the needle, play the hits or the the Beatles songs, and and flip it over. Fifteen is yesterday and today, and it's down toward the bottom because again. Mind you, you know, before yellow, before yesterday and today, we were listening to Rubber Soul of all things. We got so spoiled with Rubber Soul. It's like going from Rubber Soul to yesterday and today was, again, at the time, no, I loved it. But now, when we put it in in the lineup of all the other albums that they did, then. Coming off a of rubber soul, it you know it just it just didn't stack up. So, in terms of an album, is it really an album? No, it's not really an. Yes, it's an album, but it's a collection of singles more than anything else. So I got number fifteen. I got something new. Pick something new. It's just uh, it's a light, it's a light album. Uh, there's some good songs on it. I love uh, and I love her. And, and if I fell, I, I'd say it's it's one of the weaker uh, collections for Capital. So it's number fifteen. Fourteen. I put down. Let it be. Wow. Yeah, yeah. As you know, when we did Let It Be, I was not very favorable about Let It Be, and I told you why. The energy used, it was uh, it was a problem to begin with, and it, uh, the problems are in the track, and you can, it just it was a mess. And it, Phil Spector did a good job, but it was all over. It was it was it was it was the, it was the end, and it was it was a downer. The Let It Be album is a downer. It's a sad record, so that's why I put it down at fourteen. Shocking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> shocking. Yeah. Shocking. The next album I have is uh, for fourteen is Beatles Six. Great songs on it. You know, Eight Days a Week, Words of Love. I love uh, what you're doing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Nothing wrong with it. I'm having a tough time at this point where I had uh, other favorites, and uh, I got there, there's so many good songs on this album. My 13 is Magical Mystery Tour. Your torture. And the reason is, is because, again, I've heard the songs before. I had a slotted in um, at 13, which you might be surprised. I would, you probably thought I'd probably get that a higher ranking, I would think, because I liked the, I did like the soundtrack. Thir- well, first I'm shocked with Magical Mystery Tour. I mean, on a personal level, you know that that's hurting my my soul, but I'm going to let you go because, you know, I have some questionable stuff on, on my charts, but for uh, 13, I have uh, 65. This album is 26 minutes long. has some great songs on it, but I would prefer originals versus covers. It's a good album. I, I, don't, I don't begrudge it, but I just ranked it at 13. Well, it's interesting because when you look at Beatles 6 and Beatles 65, they're both doing those. Both those albums have covers. Yeah, I flip so, back. I flip back and forth. Like I went through and went. Yeah, oh, I got to change. Oh, you know, it was like I looked mm. at my rankings. I had to do a final like spreadsheet analysis. SK, I'm like they have covers, but I'm gonna go with this one other than that one. 
Okay, well, so we're on the 12th? 12 it is. Okay, Beatles 6. I love Beatles 6, but I had to rank it down there still, but it's creeping up there. I mean, Beatles, I was going, like you, I was going back and forth between Beatles 6 and Beatles 65. Now, I love Beatles 6. There's some great originals on there, and I love the way that they perform, the way McCartney sings Kansas City. Oh, God, I love that. I love it when he sings that. And and John singing the Larry Williams songs, Bad Boy and Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Oh, he rips it up. He rips it up. 12, Beatles 6. Yeah. My 12 is something I was ranking high the whole time. And now, I, you know, I just feel guilty to, to put it not in the top 10. But it's the Beatles' second album. Uh, Ooh, oh, I wow. know. And the weirdest thing is, Every single song is amazing. Like there's, oh my there's, God. there's, there's your no, energy. Oh, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. This is their rock and roll album, and I love everything. Please, Mr. Postman. And you know, I always look at this as like, this is like a wonderful John album with his vocals. His vocals were so good on some of these songs. Oh yeah. If Beatles were gonna be like a typical rock group, this would be the rock album for them. The energy level doesn't stop from the, the beginning to end. I I know I said it was questionable. Uh, I did have it a lot higher as we were going mm. through, but mm-hmm. I sat and sat and, and changed my mind. So, Beatles' second album, number 12. All right, well, 11. I think you're going to be surprised with 11, my 11. Help, and I adore help. I still do. And uh, as you know, I'm like you. I like what Ken Thorne did. They included the Ken Thorne. I love the compositions that he did. But compared to all the other albums... I had to give it an 11. And as you just said earlier, you know, great rockers, great songs. I Need You, George Harrison, Another Girl, The Night Before. Not to mention, you've got The Hide Your Love Away, which is an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that but, one. Yeah, but I gave it an 11, Tom. Those songs, it feels like they just look, on the album cover, they look older, you know, and... They the songs seem a lot more mature. It seems like there's it's like a, a bookmark for growth. You know that album. This song, every song is amazing, and it's great to hear George have a, a an original that sounds hot. You know, it, it was a it's a good it's a good album. I can see people throw things at me right now because number eleven is Meet the Beatles. Ooh. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, so wow. this wow. this album I used to stare at as a little kid over and over yeah. and over. Because, sure. because it was like Beatlemania at its heyday. You could just feel it when you, t- it, there was energy off this album. Record players I, I had consoles and it was, they were big pieces of furniture. And I would sit there and stare at this album over and over and read the back of it. This is an, like a, a classic, classic, classic album. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, it's one for the um, generation. So the fact that I, Put it eleven means there's something wrong with my <laughs> my favorite ability. I I understand the iconic ability and the fact that every song is great. It's just an emotional connection that I have. Well, again, you see, there's the emotional attachment that you have when you got these albums, and also my emotional attachment to when I got these albums when they first came out. And I'm telling you, when when I saw the Meet the Beatles album, that was it. I mean, my entire world changed. 
It was a it was a world changer, you know, you know. But you, that's being there at that time in early '64. After seeing them on the Ed Sullivan show, and then having that album and looking at the, those photos of the cover and the back cover, and listening to those songs. Oh my God! Anyhow, I mean, all right. So j- just to back up, the fact that yeah. like when you hold that album and. Doesn't it feel like there's energy attached to it? Like there's, there. I mean, you've you've touched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of albums in your life, but mm. when you hold that album, it is it's packed with a lot of energy. Like I just I just see it, I can feel it when I when I touch yeah. that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I I completely agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, absolutely, and that probably can be said for all of these albums, except for probably. Hey Jude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're you're gonna rub this in. Where are we at? You're you did you, you did ten. Okay, we're going to the top ten now. Top ten, starting with ten now. We're doing. I'm saying Beatles '65, and uh, the reason why I like this more than Beatles '6 is my association with getting the album in 1965 for the first time and playing it and then rehearsing a number of the songs that are on the album with my band at the time. So I have, you see, I have that historical emotional connection with Beatles 65. It's the same connection I have, actually, with Beatles 6. We did the same thing with those songs. The songs on Beatles 65 and the songs on Beatles 6 were perfect songs for rock bands at the time. All the bands that I knew in New England, we were all playing the same songs because these songs were easy to play. Rock and roll music, you know, was very simple to do. My my order, my top 10 or my top 18, the list actually could change tomorrow, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. only for today, Tom. I understand. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, I, and what's interesting, as we had this wonderful experience of talking about all the albums that were released in the U.S., it gave me the opportunity to to really dig in and to... Look today, you know, not at the time when they came out, but looking back at them today now, and it was a fantastic experience, and it allowed me to put these in some type of an order, which I've never done before. I mean, I would always people will always, people ask me even to this very day, "What's your favorite album?" Oh, Revolver, and then a week later, say, "What's your favorite album?" Say, "Oh, Rubber Soul." So, but no one ever asked me what's you know which. How would you order the <laughs> the eighteen albums? Put them in in your your order of preference. So I'm so thank you for that. Thank you for this, Tom. It's it's I'm grateful. Ha- yeah. It's a lot harder than you think. I mean, I I, I went, it is. I went, it is. I, I can yeah. show you three or four pages of me starting over. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, they changed. They changed during the process of, of you and I doing the show. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. they changed. And yeah. each album, like you know, there's no reason for you to rank them. Who wants to know your 16th Beatle album? You love them all, but yeah, at number at number 10, uh, hold on, is Hey Jude, and the reason. Oh, <laughs> whoa, wow. Okay, so this is an emotional story. 
Okay, yes. I, when I was a little kid, I was into Sesame Street records and also Peter Pan uh, records. And yeah. I, my first adult album, I was, I believe it was 1971. I was six years old. I begged my parents to get the Hey Jude album because I knew Hey Jude. Like I didn't, I knew the Beatles were important. I heard the song. I loved the song. And it was my first adult record. And what it did for me, it, it opened the door because it's a chronological order of some of their earlier stuff to their older stuff. And it was like my gateway, my gateway drug actually to the Beatles. So mm. as an album, it's a mess. And even the album cover, it's really creepy. Like I don't, <laughs> there's, there, you know, there's definitely some stuff about it, but when it's all said and done, Rain is my favorite song of all time. Like for any mm. artist whatsoever, I burn that out. I still to this day get chills when I hear it loud. And then there's also Hey Jude and the rest of the songs on the album, Don't Let Me Down. It, it really was my intro to the Beatles. I'm so glad that I had this. It was an easy introduction for me to get really excited about who they I were. See. So yeah. I, I have to give the album respect because I probably, if you look at the grooves of this album, burn this out. Uh, we cannot ignore the emotional attachments that we have to these albums, as you just very nicely articulated. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number nine. Well, this is an interesting one, actually. Introducing the Beatles. And sometimes I rate this one higher. Because this was the beginning. This and Meet the Beatles. I mean, these were the two albums that lit the fire for, for Beatlemania that had everybody crazy about the Beatles in 64, in early 64. You played Introducing the Beatles album and you played Meet the Beatles album. Constantly. That's what you played. And now at this point, these songs on here Songs like Chains, Boys, Love Me Do, Do You Want to Know a Secret, and Twist and Shout. Those songs are so easy to play when you have a band. And also, I saw her standing there. Uh, these these songs were like, they were made for bands. <laughs> the bands that wanted to play Beatles, songs that the Beatles had recorded. The impact that the these songs had and still do have on me, because when I hear the songs, what happens to me? It's like a time machine. I go back to 1964 when I hear John singing "Baby, It's You," or Paul doing "A Taste of Honey," you know, or "There's a Place," or Anna, which grew up. God, my God, the way John sings Anna. That music has the power to send you right back to where you were when you heard the album for the first time. You want to talk about magic? Are you kidding me? This ties into what you said. How did they do it? I mean, to this very day, listen to what I'm saying. It's 2020. And I'm saying. When you listen to these albums, they're like time machines. And you can travel right back to when they were released for the first time. Oh, my God. Talk about power. 
power that they had and what they still have is absolutely mind-blowing. My number nine is yesterday and today. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, what? I, I, yes, it's a, it's a compilation, but it, I think when you look at the rest of my stuff, you'll see it's, it's top-heavy from, you know, 66 to the end. Yesterday and today is a great sweet spot for me where it's in between Rubber Soul and Revolver, which are two amazing albums, and there's some hits on it. I think it's a great time period for them. And Day Tripper, we can work it out if I needed someone. Uh, yesterday, Nowhere Man. I mean, who had... Oh, Drive My Car. And all on one album? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're like, okay, well, why wouldn't it be? You know, anyone else, this would be... Uh, you know, number one of all time. It's just sure, sure. When it comes to the Beatles, it's number nine for me. Number nine, okay. Number nine. Number nine. All right, so I'm Will. Number eight. And I was going back and forth between this album and the next album. I got a Heartbeat's Night for a number eight. And it's a combination for me of the incredible songs that are on this album. Are you kidding me? And I also like the instrumentals, as you know I would. And so I I gave it an eight. The emotional attachment that I have with this album is very, very, very deep. And it always will be for me. I hear the songs and I think of the movie. I love the movie. It's probably Hard Day's Night number eight for me. Uh, Hard Day's Night movie and Help. I must have seen uh, like fifty times. Uh, every time that they keep on re-releasing a Hard Day's Night in the in on the screen, which I wish they would do for Help. So you know, I would go to the movies to see a Hard Day's Night every time it gets re-released. It's yeah. it's just awesome. It's a dizzy. Joy Ride and even Help is too. Uh, they're very lucky that they had those two movies under their belt because they're just just beautiful to watch and they're exciting. I'm at number eight and I'm going yeah. in, into the introducing the Beatles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love this album. And if the Beatles never had another album and we never heard of them again, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, like, like it would happen. And, and, you know, this album comes out, it is brilliant. It's not just, yeah. like, good. It's a brilliant album done very well. You know, if you look at the time period of, I don't know, the platters, the coasters, the no one put out an album of 12 amazing songs like this. Right. Uh, and and uh, the it's it's they ripped these off in uh, just a matter of a day or two this album was created. Wow. It is yeah. crazy how good this album is. I agree. When I listen to it, sometimes I don't think of the Beatles. I think of like pre-Beatles or something. Like it's it's not Beatle mystique. It's just that it's a it's a really nice early '60s album that's done extremely, extremely, extremely well. So um, yeah, I, and again, I I bounce this one back and forth because it feels so good. It's a it's a great mm -hmm. album. Yeah, I gave it a nine. You gave it an eight. It's one of our first ones, I guess. <laughs> that are pretty close. well, pretty close. Yeah. Not quite the same, but close. Yeah.
Twelve Seven, the Beatles' second album, because it's, as you mentioned, it's the rock and roll album. The energy is off the charts. It's nonstop, blow your mind, energy, rock and roll. My God, are you kidding me? Every single track, it doesn't let up. It's it's unrelenting. It's just incredible to this very day. We're getting up there. That's a high rate. That's a high ranking. Since we're talking about eighteen albums, and the second album is number seven, incredible rock and roll album. The energy is is unsurpassed, really. There was no Beatles slump. You know, a lot of the sophomore slump they call it. Second album just doesn't match up to the first album. <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? And in fact, this is like the energy level is so high and so high and so yeah. crazy that. Yeah. There is no such like that sophomore slump was created after the Beatles because it doesn't apply. Um, no, no, you're absolutely right. This this blew Meet the Beatles away in some respect. Definitely because of because of the energy. Because so that that I mean, how can you beat Meet the Beatles? Where do you go from Meet the Beatles? Well, you go to the Beatles second album. <laughs> That's another yeah. album that you feel you feel good listening to the whole way through. It's so well done. It's just a great album. So what's your number seven, Tom? Uh, all right. Hold on to your – I hope you're sitting down. Uh, it's, I, it's, I am it's, sitting it's, down. Yeah, okay, great. Perfect. Because this is getting tough now. And I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear a lot of hisses, a lot of boos, but I'm going for Sgt. Pepper for number seven. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, only, okay. The, the only reason is we're just running out of space. This is a great album, but you know now we're looking at it. You know, roughly fifty years later, uh, yeah. I bought this early seventies. I played the hell out of this album, but it's not one of my like. I respect the artistry of it. It's mm-hmm. and it's just not my go-to album. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, as a little kid, I was scared of a day in the life. I remember that song being scared out of my mind. Uh, <laughs> and now it's my go-to. Like I was like, "Wow, this is such a, a cool song." So I mean, uh, you you grow with an album, and in this case, I have I, I there's nothing wrong with it. Seven is a, is awesome when you're talking about the Beatles. Um, don't hate me for that one. No, no, I understand. The thing, uh, well, I'll talk about Pepper in a little bit, but so that's your number seven, okay? Well, my number six, Tom, and it's, it's, as we get up to the top five, it becomes very, very difficult, I think. The top five are probably the most difficult positions. Oh, I agree. Okay. So I've slotted Meet the Beatles for number six. Now, that could be, I could switch that out. I could make the Beatles' second album, number six, I could make. Meet the Beatles number seven, but I couldn't meet the Beatles before the second album because it was the first album. It was actually, I got Meet the Beatles before I got introduced to the Beatles, by the way. So I had to put it before the second album because it just was so overwhelming to hear these songs, these love songs. The, the Meet the Beatles is really the love song Beatle album. More than any other albums. I Want to Hold Your Hand is a love song. I Saw Her Standing There is a love rocker. This Boy is a love song. 
It won't be long as a love song. All I've got to do is a love song. All my loving is a love song. Till there was you is a love song. Hold me tight is a love song. I want to be your man is a love song. I mean, my God, they were oozing. They were giving us all this love that we were eating up like candy when it came out. That was part of their, whether they were cognizant of it or not, that was part of their success. We all wanted to hear this, these love songs. We did. Number six for me is Abbey Road. And yeah, yeah, the the production value feels like like it's something that uh, high fidelity. Like it's a, it's a really amazing album with a lot of studio artistry. I understand it gets it gets tough now with the top five. Yeah, I've done this over and over. So everyone who's listening, okay, heard the series or part of the series or all of the series or even just this episode, this closing episode, we, Tom and I would love to hear what your listing is from the least favorite Beatle album to your top favorite Beatle album. Wouldn't we love to hear from the audience? God, yeah. that's a great idea. So we are now at five. Oh, boy. Yeah. You're probably going to be surprised about five. I think you're going to be quite surprised. Did I? Hear the white, the white album, the okay. white album. You I had to move it. I had to put it in at five. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, oh no, Tom, sorry, I can't put it in anywhere. It's a standalone. It does. I can't put it into the list. <laughs> Number five, the white album. And, Absolutely. And you had yeah. it low, like it was very low. I, well, I couldn't find a place for it because it was unlike any any of the other albums, and I just couldn't find a place for it. But now, it's way up to number five, and of course we know why because it's oh my god! I mean, the songs are the most eclectic mix of Beatles songs ever, covers every genre, and it's a tremendous creative output. Even though they were fighting and bickering with each other and they were falling apart. But, my God, listen to the songs. Yeah, listen to the songs. Number five, The White Album. I love it. Number five for me is the Let It Be soundtrack. Let It Be. Uh, oh, my <laughs> God. Number five. Yeah. Wow. I, wow. I'm very sentimental to these. Like, it's weird. I Because, I, okay, so we're doing the whole Beatles thing. This is one of the last albums I bought. I have already were was this is the early seventies and I read already my Beatle books and I read that this is a a bad album has bad juju on it. Um, it looks like a funeral cover. There's problems all over the place. I avoided it because I got burned with the other soundtracks. <laughs> and when I got it, I you know, and through the years, I am emotionally attached to every single song on this album. I play this on a, um, a regular basis. I reach out and play Let It Be uh, album all the time. I, I, I love it. Wow. It's a number five mess. Oh, it's, an, it's messy. But uh, a Beatles mess is better than anyone else's mess. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's All right, Tom. Number four. Oh, my God. Whew. Wow. There's not that many left, my friends. Yeah, it's a little no. scary. 
Number four, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And my ranking of Pepper is higher than yours. Now, again, when it came out, June, I had the album June 2nd, 1967. And I had a band, my band at that time, my bands that evolved. We were very, very successful and we were very popular. And we were performing in great clubs and we backed up the Isley Brothers. And, you know, we were doing very well. This album is the opening, it's the door opener for the Summer of Love, which I was a part of, okay? I lived and experienced and truly was part of the Summer of Love. Everything about my life that summer, I was with my new girlfriend. We were in love. We flew. We didn't fly to San Francisco. Like Scott McKenzie said, put flowers in your hair and fly to San Francisco. <clears throat> and Eric Burden said the same thing with San Francisco Nights with his single. If you're we, going to San Francisco. That's right. Scott, Scott McKenzie, that's right. So what we did, we put flowers in our hair at, uh, when we were at the airport in Connecticut. And we flew to Los Angeles instead of San Francisco. But it was pretty much the same thing, even though it was a different city. Next question. So it's like, you know, the whole thing about the summer of love and... and the soundtrack to the Summer of Love, everywhere you went, that's all you heard was the Pepper album. Everybody played the Pepper album wherever you went, day, night, morning, it didn't matter. So, and even aside from all that, which is a lot, when you look at it just from a non-emotional perspective, as an artistic musical achievement, it's it it is it's unprecedented. It's it was a mind blower for them to do to create a band within a band, and then the sounds that they created during their psychedelic LSD period. This is a total standalone masterpiece album. It cannot be compared with any of the other albums. I mean, to go from the White Album to Pepper is nuts. It's like, how the hell can that be the same band? You know, really. So, I have to make it four because it's just so phenomenal. As a con- as the con- the continuity of a contained LP, this is the most out of all the albums. Perhaps maybe. Rubber Soul comes close, uh, probably very damn close, in terms of the continuity of sound and a concept going on. It's incredible. That's why it's number Number four for me is Rubber Soul. I look at this as a concept album also, and I just say, okay, between the two, who do I play more, Rubber Soul or, or Sgt. Pepper? Rubber Soul, this is where I started complaining in this this whole thing about, oh, my God, there's hits. They're not releasing hits. Like, I just saw a face, you won't see me. The word, to me, is oh, amazing. God. Oh, oh uh, God, yeah. In My Life wasn't a single. You know, and it should, I mean, it's like, a, it's a Beatle classic. Um, great album. I think Michelle and Girl, I, 
I don't know if they're American singles, but they were they were European singles. Yeah, but that, you're talking about later. They didn't release any of these singles while the Beatles were together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that yeah. this is a greatest hits album, like in the making. It's it's stamped, it's pressed, it's a classic, it's amazing, uh, and you know the album cover. It's just. Uh, it's great. It's just a great, it's a great album. Yeah. No argument there, my friend. Oh, my God. We're going down to the top three now. It's the top three. We're going down now to number three. Okay. Number three for me is Abbey Road. I put it right up there. Why? Their last album that they recorded and worked, they worked, they worked so beautifully together as a band again. They hadn't done that really since probably Pepper working that tight as a band. And you can hear it in the tracks. It has to be number three from a sound. I mean, the sound of the album. I mean, my God, when they end, I want you. She's so heavy. And it's just all of a sudden you're, there's nothing. It goes from all this sound to the opposite extreme. And that's just one small example about how, how great Abbey Road is. What's your three, Tom? My third is another armchair uh, hold is the Magical Mystery Tour soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God. Yeah, it's emotional. Oh, it's an emotional oh. run. I know, I know, it's weird. A Magical Mystery Tour, oh, better than Rubber geez. Soul. Magical Mystery let me, Tour, let better me, than Sgt. Pepper. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Let me get up off the floor. <laughs> oh, number three is the Magical yeah. Mystery Tour. Yeah, okay. I, I don't think most... Like, if anyone who does these rankings, I'd be surprised. Like, every time I say, oh, Magical Mystery Tour is one of my favorite albums, the people are like, what? And <laughs> uh, another Beatle mess, and I love this mess. Well, there's only, there's only two left, Tom. So, yeah, let's go to two. What do you got? Oh, my God. Number two. Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul is number two. It has to be number two. Yes, there's no singles from Rubber Soul. So what did the radio stations do? Even as early as 1965, they, yeah, they played Michelle a lot, but they were playing tracks. They would play all the tracks off of Rubber Soul on AM stations in 65, which is outrageous. And everything about this album, to me, is perfect. The way it came out in the U.S., the U.S. version. The U.S. version is perfect. I don't like the U.K. version. I don't even want to talk about the U.K. version. The U.S. version is absolutely perfect. Starting off with, I've just seen a face. Are you kidding me? Wow. The sound of the album... The vocals, the harmonies, the three-part harmonies, it was just, a, it's a masterpiece. And the band couldn't have been any tighter. 
they were having so much fun. You can hear their positive energy. They they were still enjoying being Beatles at that point, including Mr. George Harrison. They were they were very together on Rubber Soul, and you can hear it in the tracks. And I will always love I will always love Rubber Soul. It's it, it's number two. It has to be number two. Yeah. Some days, sometimes it's number one, yeah. <laughs> but today it's number two. <laughs> yeah, Rubber Soul is a one fantastic album. Okay, so number two for me is the White Album. Uh, Whoa! And, yeah, wow! It, it's a it's a pretty wow. it's a pretty mess. I love the variety. I love the randomness uh, that the juxtapositions of, of songs and yeah. Uh, it's really weird. It's it's a hippie album. It's a really <laughs> it's a flower child hippie, and it's almost like a punk album. It's all over the place. Okay, Tom. So you're an avant-gardist. Because this is the Beatles' avant-garde album, as we discussed at length. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, it really opens me up. I think, as uh, I, I consider myself a, like a musical traveler, I like to listen to different sounds. I like to experiment. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. stay in the pocket. Uh, this album doesn't bore me at all. And uh, other than Revolution Number no. Nine, but even but even with it on, you you rank it you rank it number two in the Beatles. List of, of albums. Yeah, it doesn't. Den- wow. Anything. As as is as yeah. is with Revolution. Now. I'll wow. take it. That's how much I love. Wow. It. <laughs> as is. Wow. Wow. Uh-huh. That's huge. That's huge. That's yeah. huge, man. That's no, huge. it's it's a fantastic album. It's like wow. number one. Well, guess what, my friend. I know what happened now. This is out of 18 albums by the Beatles, ladies and gentlemen. This is for the first time in the list. Tom and Brooke have the same rating for this album, and that's number one. And it's Revolver. It's my number one, and I know it's yours because it's the only album left. That's true. Yeah. And it's, well, Revolver, it's interesting because Revolver, in some respects, Tom, in some respects, it's like the White Album in that it's extremely eclectic. It's, in a way, Revolver is the precursor to what they did on the White Album. The mixture of different genres, genres, you know? Rock and roll, Indian, electronic music, tomorrow never knows. So, yeah, Revolver, the variety of songs, the variety of styles, even from the very beginning with a one, two, three, four, boom, boom. Wow. The beautiful ballad here, there, and everywhere. It's it's number one. It's number one. It's number one today, and it'll probably be number one tomorrow. And it's amazing how they end the album with Tomorrow Never Knows, which is so true. It's so John. And it's the absolute truth, because nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody does. So they were being so profound with a title like that in 1966, 
and it is just as relevant today as it was then. And Elder Rigby has certainly has significance and relevance today about people being lonely. So, yeah, number one, number one today. As they say, sometimes it flips around. You know, sometimes I'll put rubber sole on and it revolver too. But that's 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 it for me. And for you, what's your number one again, Tom? Oh, my number one is revolver. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, but I have to admit I can't. This is a hard number one. It's it's w- my it's one of my favorite albums of all time. But wow, when it goes into uh, Taxman to Eleanor Rigby, the, the crunchy guitars on "She Said She Said" and oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know uh, for no one is a tearjerker and it's beautiful. Oh my and, god, for no one. Yeah, yeah even yeah. the uh, the dissonance on the, the piano on "I Want to Tell You" and "Got to Get You in yes. My Life." Why yes. that wasn't a single back then? It's the the coolest R and B track that the Beatles ever did, and then you yeah. end up with Tomorrow yeah. Never Knows, and it's funny the anthology version of Tomorrow Never Knows is so completely different that that drone. Oh yeah. Them, oh yeah. Yeah. I I like that. I like it a lot just because it's the it's the creation, the birth of this amazing song. Like I mm-hmm. would love to sit and find out how they formed this song it's so creative that i would love to see like a track one track two like each time they build it to, to this epic that what it is because uh, that that anthology you're like okay wow what a what a starting point you know <laughs> to get to to what they finished up on it tom's number one beatle album i should tell you that when i first heard revolver i didn't know what to think it's, i was shocked i was shocked yeah, absolutely shocked. Because I was hearing things that no one, no bands were ever had. They had no bands were doing what the Beatles did, what they did on Revolver. Are you kidding me? I mean, I remember sitting there in my bedroom listening to this, going, "What the hell are they doing?" It was almost kind of scary in a way, <laughs> shocking and scary. It's like because they were creating songs and sounds that I never heard before. So. Yeah, it's that's a, one reason why that's one reason why why it's so number one ish. <laughs> it's, it's a of ma- that reason. It's yeah. a massive yeah. leap from "She Loves You" and to this, and you're like, okay, there's baroque music, there's like you know psychedelic music, there's hard hard rock, and it it's a, a excellent writing. That's one reason why Tom and Brooke <laughs> uh, rate rated number one. By the way, you know the album was released. Before they embarked on their last tour, they didn't play anything on their last tour, even though the album was released before they embarked on their last U.S. tour. And also, I think they went to the Philippines, and I think, yeah, they went to the Philippines also that that on that tour, I believe. If any song they could have performed, they probably could have performed. She said, she said, but. It's an album track. No one knew. She, nobody knew. She said. She said. And usually during their shows, as you probably know, they played most of their singles. Usually they played singles. They did play "I'm Down" as a B-side during their U.S. '65 tour, which was their show closer. But that was unusual, you know. And George also played "Everybody's Going to Be My Baby" at the '65. But 
So anyhow, there we go, folks. Now, what a great exercise. You know, we we spent you know, almost a year meeting and discussing the Beatles, and we did it. And and boy, it was a labor of love. At this point, it was taxing, but it's still a labor of love. It was a journey, and it was a wonderful journey to do this, Tom. And I want to thank you very much for doing this because it allowed me to really zero in and focus on each individual album that was released in the USA. And it brought back some phenomenal memories for me, as I had mentioned. So thank you, Tom, you know, very much for this wonderful opportunity. I, I had I had such a wonderful time doing this with you. You're you're a wonderful host. <laughs> and we have we have so much fun doing it together and thank you for giving me such a wonderful, happy time with you. As of now, your Sundays are now free. How sad. <laughs> ah, I, know, I know. Well, we're on the same path, Tom. All right. Awesome. All right. I'll yeah. talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 You're listening to The Beatles Come to America, the series wrap-up. Now enjoy an original composition, Killings the same old story. Super. 
disguises with men He disguises End of episode, end of series.